Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. 2,800 plus amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help yours truly, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks. I say it once, I'll say it again, everyone. Thank you so very much for the support. I really do appreciate it. And thank you so much to everyone out there who has been supportive of The Notorious Banker. Coming up on the two-year anniversary of this podcast, I will be celebrating my two-year anniversary on Twitter tomorrow, which is November 19th, and I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to start year three. Uh, We're coming up on a pivotal year of um, The Notorious Banker. You know, they used to say, I don't know who they is, but I've heard it a million times, and I've heard it conveyed um, at Bank of America when I worked there is that, you know, most businesses take a couple of years to get off the ground. Well, I have a very unconventional business. My business is shit talking. My business is consumer advocacy. My business is fighting um, for the little guy against big banks. And business is good. There's always going to be customers frustrated. There's always going to be people who need help, and I'm there to give it to them. And um, the reason why I mentioned my Patreon, patreon.com slash notoriousbankers, I need your help in order to help them. You know, times are going to get tough here. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, Christmas, and the New Year. Um, tax time will be here before you know it. So the notorious banker has to pay, you know, certain things in order to get, you know, things done. And what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the Internet. I'm talking about you know, electricity, I'm talking about housing, I'm talking about allowing yours truly to function in the way that allows me to continue to operate. I'm not beneath getting a job, I'm not beneath being a fucking janitor for God's sakes. My grandparents were janitors for the longest time and it's hard work, but it's work nonetheless. Money means nothing, Uh, the job title means nothing, but making sure you pay your bills and being a responsible American does mean something, and I do intend on doing that, but I could use your help. So if you believe in my mission and you believe in my project, patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, contribute a dollar, maybe five, maybe ten. If you're um, a little bit more well-off, do a hundred, you know, allow me to take care of the things I need to take care of so I can take care of the millions of customers that are fucked over by big banks, and I'm using that salty language now because it's true okay they're not burned they're not screwed over they're fucked over by them and i'm gonna work like hell to make sure that these people get their due you know they they have money they work hard for it it's taken away by big banks or they deposit a check and it's held by big banks for a week saying that it might be fraud when it's their hard-earned money their hard-earned paycheck they need help i'm there to bring it to them whenever there's fraud going on with a customer i just had someone the other day who had twenty one hundred dollars of fraud of something that they didn't do bank of america declined that and we're in the middle of fighting back against bank of america to claw that money back because bank of america says that they can prove that person used their debit card to spend that money well it's not the case okay it's not true fraud happens and bank of america likes to tell you fraud happens but bank of america also likes to not help whenever fraud does happen so i'm here to help with that i am here to be the liaison if you will the loud mouth the one who is going to be there to say hey bank of america you need to take a look at this because these people are getting screwed and you're not helping them and i'm going to be here until you help them so please contribute to patreon.com slash notorious banker um, you may know in this podcast, I may not have a lot more commercials. As I mentioned, Anchor is changing the way they do their advertisements. So coming up very, very, very soon, um, there will be new um, sponsors and everything that they organically bring in. But of course, if you want to be a sponsor to the Notorious Banker as well, and you own a business, you own a company, you own a bank, and you want the Notorious Banker to help other customers fight back against big banks and get your business out there, well, contact me, and that's going to be at the notoriousbanker at gmail.com for now. Email me, and I will send you a presentation of why you should advertise with the Notorious Banker. The one thing I'm proud of, and the one thing that I always say that I'm glad Bank of America gave me was the salesmanship, the sales skills that they push on every one of their employees to sell more products to customers. Although it's unethical the way that they do it, I'm really glad they gave me those skills because I have honed them to be really, really good. And I am a damn good salesperson. I would be the number one banker at any major bank if you put me in there now because I know what I'm talking about. I have the confidence. I have the drive. I can get things done. And believe me when I say one thing.
I can sell your product, I can sell your company, I can allow these listeners and followers to learn a little bit more or a lot more about you. So please, notoriousbanker at gmail.com, if you're interested in sponsorship, if you're interested in contributing to the project that is Notorious Banker, please reach out and I will get back to you and we'll make some magic happen. The third year of the Notorious Banker is going to be amazing, everyone. So if you're listening right now to this and we're five minutes in, I know that you really care about this podcast i know that you care about the work that i do and i know that you care about helping other people and we do it in kind of a different way here at the notorious banker so thank you so very much for your love and support i've been off for about 10 days i've got a lot going on i have another video podcast which i have dubbed the notorious banker tv available on youtube please subscribe to my youtube channel it is in the show notes as well and um we're going to be doing some other things really really soon um I've had a couple of media members contact us in the last couple of weeks, so I know that something's percolating out there. And, of course, you know, I've told you before, there's been a few newspaper reporters that have reached out to me in the past. And um, I've been waiting for the moment to talk to people, and I'm just wondering when the right moment is. Well, you know, the money's running out, and my project is getting a little bit bigger, so here we are. We're at a crossroads where I really think I need to be public, and... We'll make moves on that in the not-too-distant future. And, of course, I have the book that I'm writing that's coming out really, really soon, among other things that I'm doing. So I know that it's going to be a busy 2021 for yours truly, The Notorious Banker, even if I have to scrub toilets, for God's sakes. But, you know, being gone for about a week or so, just trying to figure things out. I was kind of sick there for a while, and everything is good. No COVID-19 over here, Um, but... Working on the Notorious Banker TV and other projects and just talking to the customers that are impacted by big banks is always going on 24-7. Even when I was feeling a little sick and I'm in bed, I'm still messaging people trying to help out. And this job never ends and it will never end as long as I have a say in it. So um, here we are and we're going to keep on going strong. Uh, We're going to be doing... Uh, at least one podcast a week until the Christmas holiday. We'll do two if breaking news warrants it, but uh, stay tuned on that. And, of course, subscribe to my podcast, and you will learn everything about The Notorious Banker, including whenever a new podcast pops up. I'm going to talk about a couple of things today. Of course, um, about a week ago, CEO of Wells Fargo, the former CEO of Wells Fargo, John Stumpf, Um, was charged by the SEC um, again. I mean, you know, he's had all these things going on. Beginning of the year, we did a podcast about it. It was pre-pandemic where, you know, he was banned for life from banking for all the things that occurred in 2016 with the unauthorized account scandal at Wells Fargo. Well, here we are at the end of 2020 to bookend it with another um, book thrown at John Stumpf. He was fined $2.5 million by the SEC, and we'll get into that new story. And I'm going to give you some um, opinions about it, and you already know my opinions of John Stumpf. Uh, But one thing that I was kind of looking at whenever I was bored was I looked at his Wikipedia page, and guess what? You know, that whole game, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. If you're a little bit younger, you probably don't know it, but the actor Kevin Bacon, you know, Footloose and whatnot... There's a game where you can tie almost any actor in Hollywood to him in less than six steps. And I always thought it was interesting that people would just spend the time wasting their time on that shit. But it actually is really cool because it just tells you what a small world it is. And um, here's the thing. Not only do I think John Stumpf knows about my neck of the woods, which is New Mexico and southern New Mexico at that. I really believe that there was a point in time in the mid-90s that he interacted or he maybe had a conversation with my aunt. And I'll get into that um, in the next segment. But then I also really want to talk about one other thing, and that is vigilante customer service. It was something that I helped with. It was something minor. It was um, less than $300, but the way that Bank of America denied this customer her money was insane, and I just want to get to that as well. So after this brief consideration, I will be back with the stump segment, so please stick around. All right, and we're back. So former Wells Fargo CEO John Stump, you know, I'm tired of talking about him, but as I've said a million times in this podcast, um, horrible people in banking are good for business with yours truly because there's this whole group of people on social media, on Twitter especially, 
who just love to tell you about the shit that you've done in the past. And I've told my wife this. I used to tell my customers this. I don't think I'll ever get in like criminal trouble in my life because knowing the way that social media works, and especially working locally in the banking industry, if I got arrested for some crime here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and they put my mugshot in the local paper, I, I can see the Facebook comments now. I can see the Twitter comments now. Hey, that's that guy who used to work at Bank of America. Or, yeah, I know him. I see him at the gym. I mean, that's New Mexico. That's that's the world. You know, they'll never let you live down the shit that you've done in the past or they'll never let you live down the life you've led in the past. And that's just the way that it is. Well, of course, you can't think Wells Fargo without the, as the other people call it, the fake account scandal. I call it the unauthorized account scandal because, as I've mentioned, those were not fake accounts. They were real accounts that had real consequences, and they affected real people for a really long time. The unauthorized account scandal impacted millions of people. It cost 5,300 people their job at Wells Fargo four years ago. It's costing probably upwards of you know, 50,000 jobs now in 2021 and beyond because of all the restrictions that Wells Fargo has in terms of... Um, you know, market cap, asset cap that they that they have, and then just the issues, the underlying issues that go along with being Wells Fargo in 2020. And of course, Stump isn't the CEO anymore. Charlie Scharf, another butte, is the CEO currently, but we won't talk about him today. We'll give old Charlie a break. Um, of course, Tim Sloan was in the middle of that, but John Stump is someone who we've talked about in January. He was uh, fined $17.5 million, I believe, and banned by the OCC, the Office of the Comptroller, um, for the actions done with the unauthorized account scandal. And, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a hell of a lot of money. And the $17.5 million fine and lifetime ban that was done on January 20th, 2020, was huge. Um, but, of course, a lot of people, yours truly, uh, would have loved to see John Stump in handcuffs. I mean, honestly, fuck the $17.5 million and fuck the $2.5 million we're going to talk about in just a second here. All the money and then the $3 billion fine that was placed on Wells Fargo um, by the SEC, all this money is not going to impact the consumers for the most part. It's going to shareholders who were harmed by his actions, people who own stock. And for the most part, except for those, you know, people who do Acorn and all that bullshit, um, most people who own stock have a lot of money. And all people with a lot of money don't necessarily need more money. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know it sounds bad. I know that they lost money as a result of their investment in Wells Fargo and as a result of the fake account scandal. But, you know, there were so many people, and I've talked about it in my video podcast, you know, homeless people, single moms, all these people who were too busy with life or too dumb to realize that they were getting screwed at Wells Fargo, they may not be able to bank anymore. They may have a hard time banking anywhere because of the actions done at Wells Fargo. And you can class action lawsuit all that. You can give everyone a hundred bucks, you know, for their time and all that. But it sucks for them and those people will never be the same ever again. And it's because of Wells Fargo and it's all because of the actions of one CEO, John Stumpf. Yeah, the leader should go down with the ship, and I know 5,300 bankers got fired as a result of it, but as I mentioned in a previous podcast, it was probably 100, maybe 200 people tops that were in on this scandal, and those other people who got fired were just following orders from their market managers saying, hey, you need to open accounts or we're going to write you up. So Stump should be let out in handcuffs, okay? He should, you know, the perp walk would have been worth the $3 billion fine, the $17.5 million fine on Stump. And the two and a half million he paid now because that's a priceless picture. To be able to put a man in handcuffs as the face of what goes on in the consumer banking industry, the industry that I talk about and I fight with, you know, in my own unique way, would have been golden. I mean, I would have made t-shirts with that picture. That's how much I would have loved that. But no, it's just money. And he pays money and guess what? He still has a shit ton of money. He left with a huge golden parachute. You know, he was making... Um, 22 million dollars in 2012 according to wikipedia and you know he probably made well over nine figures in his career and he probably kept a good chunk of it um even after all the fines and all the bullshit i mean we talked about his amazing nine and a half million dollar house in the phoenix area in arizona that he bought earlier this year uh right around the time of the 17 and a half million dollar fine 
So he's not hurting. I mean, you to own a house like that, you know, people say, well, once you own it, it's good. Yeah, but you got to pay property taxes and, you know, the toilet backs up and you got to fix the toilet and all that stuff happens. So you need money to still come in. It's not just, hey, I bought a house and I'm going to die here. Things happen and you need to pay for your groceries. You need to pay for vacations. Your car is going to take a shit and you need to fix it. That's just the way it is. So I would have loved that perp walk. I would have loved him, you know, having a sketch in court. I would have loved him having to testify in his own defense. We're not going to get that because we're just going to get a bunch of bullshit fines by the federal government. And you know what? If that's what they see fit, well, then so be it. The law is the law, and they gave him a break. But I would have loved to see him in handcuffs. And, you know, I talk about it so much, and I just wanted to know a little bit more about John Stumpf. And, you know, I, I didn't do too much deep digging. But one of the things that I thought about at the beginning of the unauthorized account scandal four years ago and not really knowing or giving a shit about what's going on at Wells Fargo while I was working at Bank of America was anytime people steal, whether it's embezzling, whether it's fraud, whether it's running Ponzi schemes or whatever, a lot of the times the people who commit those crimes tend to come from a background where they they did that to survive, I guess, if it makes sense. You know, I'm I'm no prize pig myself. You know, I was I was born poor, and and to some people I would still be poor right now. You know, making as much as I made in my last year at Bank of America, one would call that lower middle class. So I've never been middle class. I've never been wealthy. I've never been rich. So I know what it takes to 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 scheme, to plot, to find a way to pay the bills and live your life. I, I dealt with people in high school who sold drugs. I never sold drugs before, but it was around me. I knew people, some of my cousins, for instance, who would steal car stereos and they would sell them, you know, at the in the black market or they would sell them at flea markets, for God's sakes. I knew people, and I was one of these people for a long time, 20 years ago, who used to bootleg DVDs. You know, a lot of the times that we talk about... Um, you know, it's it's different now because most people stream everything, but uh, whenever the DVD players first started coming out, one of the things you saw probably early 2000s was, you know, the, the fifth season of X-Files on DVD or the first season of Sopranos on DVD. And one of the reasons why I think that that got spurred on is, funny enough, yours truly, uh, uh, my cousin and other people over the years in my little hometown we bootleg DVDs. I was one of the first people to have a DVD duplicator, and I spent a lot of money invested in it. I, I was able to duplicate any DVD and put it on a blank, and I would sell those, you know, underground or on eBay for a few dollars here or there. It sucks. It's it's a crime, and it's something that I own up to because at the end of the day, there's not a day that goes by where I knew that I was going to find a way to make money. And at 37 years old, I am no longer living that life. I'm doing things ethically by hosting a podcast, by helping people with bank issues, and by finding a way, just finding a way to just get by. I donate plasma. I, I coupon at the grocery store. I do all these things to just kind of find a way. And it sucks. You know, growing up in that in that environment, you're 17 years old and you're doing stuff that you probably shouldn't do, whether it's your cousin stealing stereos or you bootlegging DVDs, you... You've seen it all, you know, you've lived that life and you don't want to live it anymore. You want what's better for yourself and by extension your family and I plan on having a family someday so I really hope that I get my shit together and The Notorious Banker becomes an outstanding success where we have sponsors or we have tens of thousands of people contributing a dollar or two dollars to this project in order to con continue to kick ass against big banks. But I digress, I go off on my rants here, but what I was getting at is I grew up poor. So my first thought when I started hearing about the fake account scandal, I hate saying it, unauthorized account scandal, and just people stealing. You know, we had someone at Bank of America at the other branch in my town um, embezzle $20,000 from some doctor, and um, that was one of the main reasons why I almost got transferred about four years ago from the branch that I was at to the other branch was a lot of the times people who do those crimes grew up poor or they grew up without a lot of money or without a lot of resources and they found a way to claw and lie, cheat and steal and scheme their way into at least getting by. So I just did a Wikipedia search for John Stumpf, um, you know, about a week ago 
just trying to figure out, you know, where did this man come from? And holy shit, I was blown away. And um, I'll read it verbatim here because I don't think there's any plagiarism issues with Wikipedia, is there? I don't know. That's the encyclopedia for the world or whatever, but I don't care. So we're going to read the first two paragraphs, and then um, it's it's the beginning of his life, and it gives kind of a summary of, you know, where he is and where he's from. So it says, John Gerard Stumpf is a former American business executive and retail banker, born September 15th, 1953. Happy belated birthday, Mr. Stumpf. He was the chairman and chief executive officer of Wells Fargo, one of the big four banks of the United States. He was named CEO in June 2007, elected to the board of directors in June 2006, and named president in August 2005. He He became chairman in January 2010. Stumpf left the positions of chairman and CEO of Wells Fargo on October 12, 2016, following a scandal involving customer accounts and subsequent pressure from the public and lawmakers. He was succeeded by Timothy J. Sloan. So that's pretty much a summary in a nutshell there of um, who he is and what he is. And, you know, former American businessman, well, you're always a fucking businessman. You know, I'm a, I'm a banker, even though I've never sat behind a desk or I haven't sat behind... Uh, bank's desk in two years i mean that's just who i am you know i'm i'm born to be a banker so you know it's interesting that you know it all comes back to that like i said your mark is going to be left on what you did and the first paragraph of his wikipedia is the scandal you know when he dies his obituary would say well the ceo that was around whenever the fake account scandal happened and, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. That's all I got to say. So the second paragraph, and this is going to prove my point exactly here. A native of Piers, Minnesota, I hope I said that right, um, population 1,393 as of 2010. Holy crap, that's a small town, smaller than me. He grew up as one, uh, one of 11 children on a dairy and poultry farm. His father was a dairy farmer. His father is of German descent and his mother of Polish descent. He was raised as a Catholic. Stump shared a bedroom with his brothers until he was married. Wow, that's that's some hardcore shit. Even for someone born in 1953, that's really old world, old school stuff. So if he shared a bedroom with, I don't know, I'm assuming four or five brothers at least, until he got married, just assuming that he got married at the age of 18, for instance, that's 1971. You know, 1971, you know, Computers were almost here. <laughs> the internet was already invented in some form. And and the world as we knew it started to take shape. Color TV was around. So this isn't the olden days. He grew up with 11 kids and a mom and dad. A home of 13. <clears throat> so, I, you know, it didn't say if he's the oldest or the youngest or whatever. But all I can tell you is whenever you're in a group like that, you have to find a way to stand out. Because everyone's just looking to get by. Everyone is poor. And I could only imagine raising one kid now, but raising 11 and having to feed them, clothe them. And, you know, you're making them all work on the farm and shit like that. But it's it's a lot of work. And I respect the hell out of farmers because it's work that um, I can never do, period. And it said, Stump graduated in the bottom half of his high school class. Now, here's the thing. I, I am never going to mock someone's education their grades or whatever. If you look at my high school transcripts, I was a C student the first couple of years in high school because I got thrown out as a freshman. I was a slacker. I was a troublemaker the first two years of high school. Then at 15 years old, I figured out, you know, the right thing to do is just get my shit together, get my diploma, and then figure out what I want to do with my life. But I caused so much damage in my first two years that my GPA wasn't that great. Uh, as a whole, um, even after kicking ass the last two years because of what I did my first two years. And you're always judged by that stuff. So the fact that he graduated in the bottom half of his high school class, it, it almost sounds like he wrote this Wikipedia, like he's trying to prove a point that, hey, not not all valedictorians get to be CEO of Wells Fargo, but I did. Um, I'm, I'm appreciative of that message because it tells me that he had to work hard to get stuff done. And it said his bad grades combined with his limited family finances resulted in Stump obtaining a job as a bread maker in a Piers bakery. And in a town of a thousand people, I mean, he's got to be making peanuts at that point. He's just probably making enough to just save and living at home, you know, eating 
probably a huge pot of fucking soup or stew every goddamn day. I mean, that's just the way poor people are. You know, Mexican people are no different than that. So I, I understand and I respect that because it's hard to be poor. It is hard to be poor. That is why I do the Notorious Banker stuff. After a year, so I'm assuming he saved up a year's worth of pages to go to school. After a year, Stump enrolled in St. Cloud State University on a provisional basis. And, you know, nothing wrong with state universities. My wife works at a state university, and it's important that people get an education. But I will say this, and I know there's talk about, you know, student loans being forgiven and stuff like that. And I, I, I'm all for that because, guess what, I owe student loan money too. But not everyone is cut out to go to college. There are some people who learn a trade. There's some people who learn a skill. I mean, I know some high school dropouts that are kick-ass mechanics. And, you know, we need those people in those in this world. And like I said, college is not for everyone. College wasn't even for me, for God's sakes. It took me a while to get going with college, and I graduated at age 25. So Stump and I are kind of similar in that aspect. St. Cloud State University is a good hockey school. That's the only thing I know about St. Cloud State University is because anytime I would look at the Frozen Four, which is the final four teams in hockey, St. Cloud State is always a perennial, hey, they're almost there. And they are the Huskies, and their logo looks like a ripoff of the Montreal Canadiens hockey logo. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Here's the last part of the first paragraph of his early life that just blew my mind, and this kind of makes sense as psychologically how he can get away with doing what he did with the unauthorized account scandal. You know, he enrolled in St. Cloud State University, and he said he eventually obtained a job as a repossession, a repossession agent, easy for me to say, at First Bank in St. Paul, Minnesota. Have you ever met a repo agent? Those fuckers are hard. They are hardcore. They do not give a shit. They don't care. You have to have a stone face. You have to be a dick because there's always someone that's going to tell you a story. There's always someone going to say, hey, I wrote a check and it got lost in the mail. Or, hey, no, you guys got two payments instead of one. This is ridiculous. Everyone has some bullshit story. And you know what's funny? As the notorious banker, I deal with people who have issues with um, double payments with mortgages or they made a payment and then it didn't go through and they were getting these weird messages by the bank saying, we're going to foreclose your house and stuff like that. Um, those people are dicks on the other end of the line. Whenever you talk to them, they are harsh. I've told you the story about one of my customers, Marion, um, uh, from here in Las Cruces, where she was my favorite customer. She used to make me, she's from West Africa, this West African rice dish every couple of months or so, and is the best food that I ever had because she loved me and I loved her. She was my, one of my favorite customers. But then one day they came for her car and what happened was, the teller that we had at the bank was applying her regular payment, the regular payment that Marion was making to her car, as principal only instead of regular payments. So the system never really credited her for making her payments on time. It looked like she was paying down the principal but not paying the principal in interest. So there was like two or three months or something where that happened. And after that, they just came for her car saying, you have a major payments. And she had proof. She had receipts. But by the time she gave me the receipts the next day and her car was in repo, I saw what the teller had did. I told my manager, hey, the teller fucked up and we need to fix this. But talking to the repo department at Bank of America, holy shit. You talk about some evil mother truckers, man. They are evil people. They, they do not care. They do not give a shit about your life. And I was talking to them, and I would hear them like berate my customer, berate Marion, saying, oh, you need to be better, and you're irresponsible, and this and that. And I got the phone from her. It was her cell phone. I said, you know what? This is James from Bank of America. I am the manager here. And we're going to get this fixed, okay? I'm literally here trying to fix it. It was a mistake that we made, and we're going to make it right. And then I was like, oh, you got to make photocopies of the receipts, and then you're going to do a cashier's check, and then you're going to let us know the cashier's check number, and then you're going to send it FedEx with a tracking number. I'm like, fuck. I work for the same company you do. I promise you, you will get that. Give her her car back. And after that, me and Marion were never the same again. You know, she was an amazing person, amazing customer. And she still talked to me, but it was different. Because I saw how Bank of America treated her. And Stump here, as a repossession agent, you have to have that thick skin. You have to have that I don't care about your stupid ass story attitude. 
and to be able to repossess cars, to re- repossess equipment, to re- repossess farm equipment, I'm sure, in Minnesota. And he did that. And I'm, I don't know how long he did it for, but holy crap, you grow a thick skin when you have a job like that. And, you know, and I, I don't need to be the one to defend cops or I don't need to be the one to defend military people because that's a whole other podcast. That's a whole other set of people. But you know what? I always used to tell people about cops. You know, I was like, they're dealing with people on their worst day at all times. Even if you're pulling them over for a speeding ticket for doing 50 and a 35, you just made that person's day a shit day. And you have to deal with that person's shit day because you pulled them over for speeding. And you have to psychologically get over the fact that you're harming these people because you're just doing your job. And that's what Stump was doing. He's just doing his job. See, I'm trying to stick up for the man even though he's a cold son of a bitch. Being a repo agent is probably what got him to where he's at now. And it says Stumpf earned his bachelor's degree in finance from St. Cloud State University, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and his MBA with an emphasis in finance from the University of Minnesota's Carlson School of Management. And that's a, you know, good job from bottom half of your class to you got an MBA. The world is your oyster and you have bank experience. Yeah, you were a fucking hardcore repo agent, but you still worked at a bank and that looks good on the old resume. And you're a hard worker because you came from 11 kids and you worked at a bakery and, you know, you worked to get everything you did. So good job by Stump on that. Then here's the crazy stuff here. In 1982, Stump joined Northwestern National Bank, the flagship bank of Norwest Corporation. He worked in the loan administration department, then became senior vice president and chief credit officer for Norwest Bank Minneapolis. He held a number of management positions at Norwest Bank Minneapolis and Norwest Bank Minnesota before assuming responsibility for Norwest Bank Arizona in 1989. He was named regional president for Norwest Banks in Colorado, Arizona in 1991. From 94 to 98, he was regional president from Norwest Bank of Texas. And during the four years in that position, he led Norwest acquisition of 30 Texas banks with assets of $13 billion. So he went wherever the job was. Norwest had a job for him, Arizona, Minnesota, Texas. He went where it was. And you know what? People at Bank of America and Wells Fargo <clears throat> excuse me, nowadays really do appreciate that. They're like, hey, there's a better job out there. If you're willing to commute, if you're willing to travel, if you're willing to move, we can find a job for you. And if you do a good job, they'll do it. So he did that, and he worked his way up the chain by moving to all these far-flung states. You know, Arizona's not Minnesota. So he moved there, and he got stuff done. So I was like, hey, that's cool. It's probably why he bought his fucking $9 million house in Arizona is because he worked in Arizona. He's like, one day I'm going to live in that goddamn mountain. Here's the crazy part right here. It says, Norwest merged with Wells Fargo in 1998. Although Norwest was the nominal survivor, the merged bank retained the Wells Fargo name. Imagine how weird it would be if all Wells Fargo's were still Norwest. I mean, it's it's weird to me that they kept Wells Fargo's name. We'd be talking about the Norwest unauthorized account scandal. Um, I'll get to a weird coincidence in a second here. The Kevin Bacon game thing I was mentioning. Stump became head of Wells Fargo's Southwest Banking Group, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. And two years later, he became the head of the new Western Banking Group, Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Texas, Utah, Washington, Wyoming. It's a lot of states, man. That sounds like a big bank right there where they're having you manage hundreds of branches across multiple states, meaning that you never really have a understanding of what's going on in any of those states. And it says in 2000, he led the integration of Wells Fargo's acquisition of $23 billion First Security Corporation based in Salt Lake City. And he was named the Group EVP of Community Banking. And then in 2008, he led one of the largest mergers in history with the purchase of Wachovia. So now here's the crazy part. Before Wells Fargo became Wells Fargo in New Mexico, it was Norwest, as I mentioned. And it was 94, 95, 96 or so whenever... Um, it became Norwest in my hometown of Socorro, New Mexico. Um, but before that, it was a bank called United New Mexico Bank. So um, let me give you some background on yours truly. I have an aunt who is a restaurant owner, and she owns the Alabarn Cafe in San Antonio, New Mexico. Um, you know, smart lady financially, business-wise, business sense. I mean, that restaurant just celebrated its 75th anniversary I love my family's restaurant. It's a hole in the wall. It's it's dark. It's dingy. Yeah, it's not the cleanest place in the world, but you know it has a lot of history. Conrad Hilton helped open up this restaurant with my um, great aunt's father. I don't even know him because he died, you know, like eighty years ago or whatever. But they opened this place up in San Antonio, New Mexico, in nineteen forty-five, 
and it's still there to this day. And she has maintained it, and she's in her mid-80s now, so she's in semi-retirement. My cousin actually operates the restaurant now. And it's weird because I see him on social media now. I'm like, that restaurant has a social media page. I just never put two and two together. But it's cool to see that love. And it was actually um, commended by Reader's Digest, of all places, of being one of the burger places to go to in America this year. And I was really proud of that. Um, my my aunt was pretty um, connected in the business industry. She owned a hair salon as well, if I'm not mistaken. And um, she was big um, in the Republican Party uh, locally, you know. I, I I just remember her with pictures of George W. Bush and Bob Dole when he was running for president. And she was a county clerk, if I'm not mistaken, in the early 1990s. I was like six, seven years old, so I didn't really know much about politics then, but I knew that she was an elected official at that point. One of the reasons she, she became county clerk was because she had a job, and then she was owner of the Albaran Cafe, of course, and owner of that hair salon, which the name escapes me at this moment. But she was also on the board of directors of United New Mexico Bank at that point in time in the late 80s, early 90s. I didn't know anything about the bank. I just remember the logo. I just remember they had a hot air balloon. I didn't know much about it. But she was on there because I remember my mom would talk about my aunt being on there because my mom would be the de facto manager of the restaurant without actually being the manager because she would have these board meetings and all this stuff, you know, the way a local bank does. You know, Bank of America has board of directors, as does Wells Fargo, but you don't know who the fuck they are. They're in some place 2,000 miles away. But my aunt was on the board of directors of United New Mexico Bank um, because of her proximity to the branch here um, in my hometown of Socorro, New Mexico, and she would go on these meetings, these trips and all that as a result of that. And then, of course, Norwest bought United New Mexico Bank um, in 93, 94, and then Norwest was purchased by Wells Fargo, or they purchased Wells Fargo, and then they became Wells Fargo at that point in time. So the conversations that were had in the merger talks uh, between United New Mexico and at that point North Norwest Bank, before Norwest merged Wells Fargo, was probably stumped talking to the board of directors at United New Mexico Bank, and I need to ask my aunt this, and I hope I do before she passes away. I haven't been at home in several months. I haven't seen her in about a year since my grandmother died. But I would love to just talk with her and say, hey, do you, whenever you were the board of directors at United New Mexico Bank, did you ever run into a guy named Stumpf? <laughs> I really believe if she was on the board of directors at the time of the Norwest merger, that she had an interaction. She communicated. She sat in a meeting with... Wells Fargo disgraced CEO John Stump and that blows my fucking mind because I am here calling for his incarceration and I really think my great aunt had a conversation with him and probably discussed the finer points of this merger that was happening with Norwest Corporation at that point. It just blows my mind. It blows my mind and I really want to ask my aunt that before she goes. She's in her mid-80s, late 80s so once this pandemic kind of um, goes away or hell I'll just even um, message my cousin I'll say hey can you ask your mom one thing because I'm curious I really think that that's a possibility and if, if that's so I am the king of the Kevin Bacon game for fucking banking at that point because I am literally one step away and that was my aunt being on the board of directors of a bank that was merged with Stump's bank in the mid 90s unbelievable I really hope that that was the case because that would be a cool feather in my cap. But the fact of the matter is she was close enough already that I'm almost certain that that conversation happened. He became CEO of Wells Fargo in 2007 and chairman in 2010. And it says in 2012 his total compensation was $22.8 million with a base salary of $2 million, $3 million in cash bonuses, $12.5 million in stock granted, and 15000 in other compensation. I like to think that's like, you know, candy or something. Like, it doesn't say what other compensation is. Um, and, you know, it, it talks about his role in the fake account scandal and stuff like that. And we've been over that a hundred times. Um, the fact of the matter is he was fined $2.5 million by the SEC, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, last Friday with what was going on by misleading investors after he said that, you know, yeah, he was responsible for it, but he didn't really have too much knowledge of it or whatever with the unauthorized account scandal. And it says that um, him and Kerry Tolstead, the former head of Wells Fargo's community bank, embraced a metric known as cross-sell, even though this measure was inflated by accounts and services that were unused, unneeded, or unauthorized. 
In other words, the former Wells Fargo executive bragged to investors about how many different accounts customers had. Remember, the number was eight. They talked about having eight accounts per customer. Despite the fact that millions of these accounts were fabricated by employees trying to meet wildly unrealistic sales goals set by management. So, you know, we could talk about the $2.5 million fine. We could talk about all these things. It means nothing. He needs to be in jail. The fact that Wells Fargo has just literally taken a crap since the scandal, and they are a joke now, and they literally, and all their comments on their Wells Fargo posts on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever, that's all people talk about still is the unauthorized account scandal, and it's never going to go away. Unless Wells Fargo changes its name and changes its name immediately, you know how they had that founded 1852 and reestablished 2018, they need to reestablish under a different name because that stink is not going to go away by getting rid of Stump, by getting rid of Tim Sloan, by getting rid of this Tolstead woman, and just rebranding, just calling themselves something else. You know, and that's the way to do it. I remember whenever there was a a plane crash in the mid nineties, I was Value Jet. I mean, I probably would have never flown Value Jet just because of the name. I don't want value in my fucking plane. I wanna make sure that it's top notch, top of the top of the heap stuff. You know what I mean? I have a fear of flying as it is, so if I go in a place called Value Jet, I'm gonna question the shit out of every screw in that plane for God's sakes. But I know that whenever Value Jet um, crashed in, I believe it was like 95 or 96, and I'll, and I'll Google it while I'm talking here, um, there was a point in time where the, they were trying to continue to do business, and it was just something that they couldn't continue doing, because um, it was 1996, the crash of flight 592 in 1996, they had illegally hazardous materials on board, it's spelled doom for the airline, so ValueJet couldn't be value jet anymore because it wasn't the world of social media at that point but anytime you thought value jet you thought about that crash in 1996 and the way breaking news was back then with cnn um was a lot different because they were on that for like a week i remember i used to watch the news incessantly when i was a teenager so they merged into another airline and they took the name of the other airline and it was airtran airways after value jet but it said, however, for years after the merger, it was thought that ValueJet was the nominal survivor, changing its name to AirTran Airways due to the ValueJet management running the airline in the midst of the plane crash that happened. And it said AirTran was purchased by Southwest in 2011 and ended flights in 2014. So AirTran was still a thing up until six years ago, but they just, you know, they had all this stuff. They never made mention of value jet whenever they became air tran it was just we're air tran we're not value jet and um on wikipedia they talk about that air tran airlines even whenever purchased by southwest airlines um has a bunch of value jet memorabilia locked in an atlanta warehouse and it says it also opted to not make any major announcements on the crash's 10th anniversary out of respect to the victim's families they really try to make sure that they swept it under the rug and swept it out of the brains of people. And even though, even though, you know, they changed the name. And it was kind of one of those things, like, we're not going to even bubble up on the surface of being AirTran just on the off chance that people remember us as ValueJet. So if Wells Fargo becomes some other, you know, name down the road, I think they can get away with getting away from this story. I really do. But I also think that you just got to own up to it. And they, they've done it in the past. But with all these greatest hits that happened with Stump, with all this shit that happened with Charlie Sharp, I knew I wasn't going to mention his name, but I just did, with his comments about um, the black talent pool in his workplace, Wells Fargo is always going to be bubbling up to the surface. Because even when they had the comment about the black talent pool in their workplace, guess what people talked about? The unauthorized account scandal. It's going to go in a circle until the Wells Fargo name goes away. And the notorious banker will be here no matter what, no matter the name of that bank because of their lineage, their history of what they did. Uh, I wanted to talk about John Stump's background here instead of just completely bitch about uh, what he did with Wells Fargo to give you some kind of context here. As I mentioned, you know, I grew up poor. I grew up needing to lie, cheat, steal, claw my way to get through high school, to get through college, before I started working a job, an actual job, you know, I was one. Uh, I was one of the first people on eBay in 1998 that I knew of, anyway. And I would sell everything. I would sell all of my CDs. I'd sell my baseball cards, 
they weren't graded, but I would say, hey, rookie card of whoever in mint condition. And it may not have been mint, but I still got mint money for it. And guess what? The person got the card and they probably got burned on it. You know, that's just the way that I was. And clipping coupons, finding ways to scam, you know, extra food out of places, complaining to people on social media about the quality of service at Applebee's or something will get you a $5 gift card every now and then. That's what people do to survive in this world. And Stump knew it early on in the 50s and 60s. You know, it's not outstanding to be one of 11 kids because, you know what, inevitably there's going to be a winner in that family and there's going to be a loser. And even though he did some horrible shit that really deserves to put his ass in prison, I'm sure his 10 other brothers and sisters did not make hundreds of millions of dollars in earnings and he didn't. they didn't manage a multi-billion dollar corporation. Yeah, a lot of them didn't leave their company in disgrace either, but he can say that and hang his hat on that. So at the end of the day, you know, like I said, with his past as a repo agent, he's probably stone-faced about it. He's like, no, I succeeded. I have money. I have a wife. I have this nice house. I ha- I'm I assume the asshole plays golf. I'm sure he plays golf. And he's like, you know what? I live in Arizona. I play golf all the time. Life is good. The off chance someone's going to recognize him by face, and hell, I won't even recognize him by face. Um, is going to be very few and far between. And even then, it's just one blip in the radar. Someone says, fuck you, Stump, you're the stupidest guy in the world. Guess what? He gets to drive to that house, that amazing 9,000-square-foot house, gets to relax in one of his three fucking swimming pools and gets to drink some scotch or some bourbon or whatever his liquor is and says, you know what, I lived a good life. I came from Piers, Minnesota, one of 11 children. I was a farm kid. I had to, you know, milk cows. I got to pick up shit everywhere. I had to kill chickens so we could eat dinner tomorrow. I did all that and I survived and I got my I got my degree, I got my MBA and I worked my way up as a repo agent from a bank to CEO of Wells Fargo. I lived a good life. And you know what? From afar, Mr. Stumpf, I would say you did lead a good life because you worked your way out of the middle of nowhere, Minnesota to running one of the biggest companies in the world but you got to understand that the actions you did while you worked at one of the biggest companies in the world is going to be your forever legacy and it's the first paragraph on your wikipedia it'll be the first paragraph on your obituary i don't wish death upon you mr stump you know that's too strong a word i want you to live a long life 110 years plus and the next 40 plus years of your life i want you to kind of reflect on the millions of people that you impacted by pushing those regional managers those area managers manage uh, a management position that you once held at norwest bank and you pushed them for more sales you pushed them to cross sell the hell out of every customer and those middle managers pushed their branch managers and those branch managers pushed their bankers and you led a bank to have millions of people lose trust in banking because of what you did. Like I said, Mr. Stump, you succeeded in life by getting out of the farmhouse and into the penthouse. But every action that you have, I know you're going for the outhouse joke, James, and I'm trying not to do it, is pure outhouse material. And you really need to understand that, Mr. Stump, you're one of the reasons why your bank sucks and why I'm here to fight back. After this brief promotional consideration, I'll be right back with more, so please stick around. Alright everyone, we're back. So, um, off topic here, it is hot in this office of mine. Um, I am loving New Mexico less and less with each passing day. It is 80 degrees here in Las Cruces, New Mexico as I record this, and I'm dying. It's, it's fucking November 18th, for God's sakes. Um, when I'm older, and when I have money, hopefully through Notorious Banker Contributions... I can purchase a nice little cabin in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, which is about an hour from here. 9,000 foot elevation. It's probably 40 degrees there. It never gets beyond 70 degrees in the summertime. It gets hot in the summertime, though, because you're that much closer to the sun. But, you know, it's nice and fresh. You don't have to worry about this oppressive heat. It is miserable in in mid to late November now, and I just can't stand it. I'm ready to live in the mountains for the rest of my life, but high, high mountains where there's bears and stuff. Um, they have Verizon cell phone service and Cloudcraft, so hopefully I'll get there at some point in time in my life. Anyway, I digress. Um, Vigilante customer service, you know it, you love it. Since April 1st, 2019, the Torres Banker has recovered or rescued about $1.2 million 
uh, from big banks for the little guy. And what I mean by rescued, whether it's a fraud claim that was denied, that was a legitimate fraud claim, the Bank of America, Wells Fargo, or any of the big banks denied, whether it's a check being held for unknown reasons, whether it's an overdraft fee or a monthly maintenance fee charged unjustly, the notorious banker does not pick and choose who he helps, whether it's a $5 fee or $7,600, like be in Arizona this past summer. I will work hard to fight back against big banks screwing you over, and I get that money back. $1.2 million is the cumulative tally of the money recovered um, with check fraud, with any type of fraud that happens to my customers, with any monthly maintenance fee, or, or the amounts of checks that were being withheld from customers who sorely needed it. It's a number that I calculate. It's a number that I keep track of, and I'm really, really proud of. My last vigilante customer service rescue was for Giselle in Florida. And, you know, the, the funny thing about Giselle is her case was not that big of a case. It was $299. But Evil Zell was part of it, and Bank of America was part of it. What a fucking shock, right? And Bank of America totally just put the screws on her to where it just made her so frustrated. And it took 55 days to get nothing done. She contacted yours truly, the notorious banker, and within one day I got her a conversation. And she's well on her way to getting her money back when there was no hope of it whatsoever. I don't want to make this a big long rant because, yeah, it's only $299, but I'm just going to give you the lowdown about what Bank of America said here. So Giselle uses Evil Zell. You know, I told her don't use Evil Zell. I tell people not to use it because it is evil. And you have a lot less um, security with Evil Zell. And what I mean by that is you're basically giving away your right to dispute whenever something happens with Zell, which is one of the reasons why I hate it. Because it's not like someone's stealing your debit card and going to Walmart. Whenever you enroll in Zell, you're pretty much saying, I agree to anything that I do with Zell. And whenever you send money out, that's you authorizing it based on your enrollment with Zell. So she enrolled in Zell and she sends money to family and friends. She does it not often, but she does it often enough. And she has one particular friend that she sent money to uh, via Zell to Chase. And this person had a Chase bank account. So she sent money one day and gets there, sends money another day and gets there. And she was sending her friend $299 um, one day um, via Zelle. And she sent it. And the friend's like, hey, well, where's it at? And she's like, no, I sent it. And it's like, hey, I got nothing over here. And, of course, whenever you have these disputes between banks, you always have the, I swear I sent you the money. And then the person screenshotting their account, scratching out all their purchases and their available balance. Look, I don't have any transfer from you. And then, and then Giselle would send a screenshot to her friend saying, look, I sent it to you. It says sent to $299 and it posted. And I was like, well, um, we'll call Chase and see what happens. Why hasn't Chase put it in your account yet? And then, of course, Chase says, call Bank of America. And then Bank of America says, no, it's Chase's problem because we sent it to Chase. And you get this runaround nonstop for days. Giselle files a claim, or she thinks she files a claim, so she calls the claims department. Bank of America alleges that they put a claim in for her and that they were going to investigate and figure out um, what was going on with all of her claim stuff. And, you know, and she was hopeful, and she knew that it was going to get fixed because, I mean, where did the money go? It's something she did all the time. I'm sure they're going to catch the error, right? Well, 55 days later, they told her that not only that they didn't find it, that they considered that any charges she sent to her friend to be a valid charge based on her previous enrollment in Zelle, saying they were going to credit her the money and she would have to figure out a way to get it back. And she was pissed, of course. So Giselle said, well, what do I do? You know, how, how am I going to get my money back? I sent it to my friend. My friend never got it, so who has it? And then the customer service representative at Bank of America tells her, well, if you really need the money back that bad, you should consider legal action on your friend. Bank of America told her to sue her friend for $299. The same $299 her friend never got in his Chase account, for God's sakes. you got to be shitting me. The customer service, the fraud department, it's not even customer service. Customer service can be any random asshole in the call center. The fraud department handles these things specifically. And the fraud department said... Um, you're going to have to sue your friend in order to get your money back. So you're going to sue your friend money for money that they didn't even get back. And if you somehow win this court case, if it makes it that far, um, the friend's going to lose out on money that he never got. Plus, you're going to have to spend, what, a couple hundred bucks on a lawsuit to go to small claims court or something. It's ridiculous. That's That shows the lack of effort, the lack of customer service on there. 
and um, Giselle posted on social media multiple times. And she was pissed. I could tell. And I responded to her once. I didn't really offer my services at first. I was just saying, well, I understand. That sucks. What happened? Then she mentioned Zell. And I'm like, oh, shit. Here's Zell again. So I said, hey, you know, maybe I can help you get a conversation with someone. And she followed me. And I walked her through the steps and getting a conversation with someone. And literally in less than two hours, she got a reply back from a manager at Bank of America. And they're well on the way of getting that fixed, finally. Cut to about two days later, whenever... Um, Bank of America supposedly denied the transaction. She gets something in her My Documents and her online banking, and it's a letter that she's going to receive via mail too, which basically says that we found that there was no fraudulent activity or nothing wrong with the transaction for $299 sent out on whatever date it was. And then the fucked up thing was in that letter it says, well, however, as a courtesy, we're going to continue to investigate. It may contact the receiver to find out what happened with the money. Meaning they're going to contact Chase as a courtesy. You mean the, the thing you were supposed to do for 55 days in between the time she supposedly filed a claim and the time you told her to go get fucked. Give me a break, Bank of America. To send that letter out saying as a courtesy you're going to do that, that's not a courtesy. You're supposed to do that when I file a claim. The notorious banker and vigilante customer service, you know, fights back against things like that. Because I know one thing. I know that those fraud claim people do not give a shit. You know, I mentioned how CEO um, Stump at Wells Fargo worked as a repo agent. You have to be a certain type of hardcore to work in the claims department because you're likely denying claims. And I've said this before. People do file false claims sometimes. People do lie. They'll say, hey, I never spent $150 at Dillard's. I never go to Dillard's. And they, they do that because they went to Dillard's and they bought something they really want. And they say, hey, I didn't want to spend that much money. Let's see if I can get it for free. People do that shit. And those people should be in jail for theft. Yes, people do that. I understand. But banks have no reason to suspect that everyone's doing that. The whole reason the bank is there is to investigate, to vet any, any claims that may be put on them by a customer. And the fact of the matter is they never even bothered to look. And then at the end of nearly two months, they tell her to to sue her friend to get her money back if she wanted it that bad. $299 is nothing to you, Bank of America. If you go by 2018 net profits that Bank of America make, you would make about $900 a second, Bank of America does as a company. So that $299 represents one-third of one second that it takes for you to make that money. Screw you. you. You lost the customer forever. You lost the trust of a customer, and you also lost the trust of, of, for her, for Giselle, in banking. She's never going to trust a bank again for the stupid shit that you pulled. And the Vigilante Customer Service is here to kind of enlighten people and saying, this is what big banks do. This is what they're going to continue to do, and it's only going to get worse as branches close, as customer service wait times are going to be that much longer, because they're going to kind of push you and force you. So yeah, you're, you're not even going to bother calling. It's not even worth your time to wait 10 hours on the phone over, over the course of two months to get back $299. That's what they want from you. This may not be the biggest score in Vigilante customer service history here, but it's a satisfactory one because I get a, a picture of a letter and I get a conversation with a customer that tells me what I already knew. That Bank of America is just trying to shoo these people away that they feel are not worthy of banking at Bank of America. For someone who worked in lower class part of Las Cruces, New Mexico, next to a homeless shelter, a halfway house, next to a trailer park, all this low income housing, and those customers adored me, they looked out for me because they knew I was gonna tell it to them straight, they knew I was gonna help them out no matter what. When you betray the trust of those people, Bank of America, what the hell else do you have? You have a bunch of rich, rich clients that do not give a shit about you and will leave you at the drop of the hat. You're, you know, you're no better than some high school kid who's trying to impress the cool kids by harming the friends that he already has. When in reality, the friends that he already has brought him to the dance. The friends that he already has is more than all he'll ever need, but he wants more. Bank of America always wants more and more and more, and they'll spit and piss all over the lower class people to get to those rich customers. Those rich customers don't care about you, so you know what? You shouldn't care about them so much, and you should care about the 67 million other customers that you have, including Giselle, who you burned out of $299 because you were too lazy to do a dispute. Vigilante service is going to continue on, my friends. The notorious banker at gmail.com for now. Uh, 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line. You can always at me at BankBetterGuy on Twitter. 
find a way to message me and we'll um, help you out discreetly here. And one thing that I want to note, because I know someone had asked before, I don't ask for personal information. If your name is on your Twitter, then I'll call you by your name. But if your name is, you know, the sex robot or something, I'll say, hey, sex robot, this is what you do. I, I want to make sure that, because this is important, because Bank of America literally put out a tweet and they literally made a website where it says, don't talk to people who tell you not to trust Bank of America, referring to me. I don't need to know your name. I don't need to know how much money you have. I don't even need to know where you're from except whenever location is necessary. Because, you know, knowing your location kind of helps me get to get you to someone locally. But I don't need to know your life story. I don't need to know your account number. I just need to know what happened with you. And I have a method of troubleshooting certain things with Bank of America and Wells Fargo that are easy for me. So you have your trust that I will keep you secure, I will keep it discreet, and I will be effective at what I do. So if you trust in the Notorious Banker and Vigilante Customer Service, I'm going to be here at your service, my friends. Um, because guess what? Big banks are going to continue to do what they do, and I will be hearing this until the end of time. That's why this is a successful business, right? Because I'm always going to have pissed off bank customers. So, well, keep them coming, big banks, because I'm going to help them, and I'm going to show what frauds you are. Vigilante customer service is strong, my friends. Alright, I really enjoy that song there. And the only reason I have that song on there is because there was a merger that happened this week. And we'll probably get to it in another podcast. But PNC Bank is buying BBVA, also known as BBVA Compass, to some of you here in the United States for $15 billion. And PNC is going to be the biggest little brother of the big four banking industry. They are going to be the fifth biggest bank as a result of this merger. And PNC is now going to have a footprint in my home state of New Mexico. So PNC, you are on the watch list now. I like you, PNC. I actually had an account with you before because I was trying to get a $175 bonus from you. And the customer service that I had, and it was like eight years ago or so, was actually top-notch because I understood that I was like 800 miles away from the nearest PNC and um, I couldn't go into a branch to close an account now. So they helped me out with that. But um, PNC, you're becoming pretty big and I'm going to be focusing on Twitter and everything going on with you guys as this merger occurs because you are going to be nationwide at that point. And I'm going to watch out for every single thing that you do because... I will learn, your, I've already helped people with PNC before, mind you. I will learn your traits. I will learn how you treat people. I will learn how you um, engage with them on social media. And I will call you out on your BS. You've gotten the pass for a long time, PNC, because um, Bank of America and Wells Fargo take up like 99% of my time. You know, Chase and City get off scot-free too a lot of the time with their bullshit. But I'm here at PNC, and congratulations on the merger. And once it closes, you are on my watch list as the Notorious Banker. So PNC, BBVA, or BBVA, PNC, it reminds me when the Backstreet Boys got together with New Kids on the Block, and they were N-K-O-T-B-S-B. I mean, how many more fucking acronyms can you have at that point in time? I'm sure they'll come up with some some neutral name, some stone-cold robotic name. You know, kind of the way that BB&T and SunTrust became truest pink. I'm sure it's going to have something that just kind of reflects like what a what a responsible lender and a responsible bank they are. Whatever, it's bullshit. So watch out, PNC. I'm coming for you. Thank you so much for listening to the Notorious Banker podcast. TheNotoriousBanker.com is my new URL, www.TheNotoriousBanker.com. I will have a new uh, email set up shortly, but for now it's TheNotoriousBanker at gmail.com. My voicemail line, if you have any questions, comments, if you want to be on the podcast, if you have an issue, 575-322-4127. I have a TikTok um, at Notorious Banker that I will fully launch really soon. I have one video of there as of now. I had um, a busy last three weeks trying to get things in order in the household and everything, so I'm going to have time to do more content, and the Notorious Banker's TikTok page will be up and at them, and it'll be hilarious, and it'll be thought-provoking as well. I, I may dance, but at the same time, I'm going to just blow your mind with uncensored content. So stay tuned on that. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Um, and it's going to be the Notorious Banker. Um, Notorious Banker TV is going to be on there. I will have a URL for that soon. It's probably going to be the NotoriousBankerTV.com. Uh, stick around on that. I'm still waiting to buy the domain name. I bought the domain name from someone else, and it's been a pain in the ass. They want business licenses and shit like that. I'm like, why do you need that as a domain name? 
Um, so be on the lookout for that really, really soon. But honestly, contribute to my Patreon, patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. $1 can make the difference. $2 can make the difference. It's a subscription. I, I used to say donate, but subscribe to the Notorious Banker's content. You'll get some bonus content on my Patreon page. Plus, you'll also get the, the, the good feelings that you're helping so many people fight back against big banks. A lot of people don't have the time or the skills or the will to fight back against big banks. And you may not need that help at the moment. But a couple of dollars here or there will help me pay the bills, allow me to be full-time being the Notorious Banker, and allow me to fight back against big banks for those little customers who do need that help. I mentioned Giselle's story in the last segment, but whether it's that, whether it's major fraud, or whether it's just some bullshit that people need to deal with with the banks, I will be there for them. But I do need your help. You know, I donate plasma. I find ways of making money. I clip coupons. But you know what? A couple of bucks here or there, I can get to a point where I can be full-time with a notorious banker. And although I am not beneath a janitorial job, I will gladly take it as long as I'm able to pay the bills and still continue to kick ass as a notorious banker. But believe me, I am best suited fighting back against big banks with your contributions, patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. I also have Cash App and Venmo options if you're willing to go that route. Um, I'm looking to get into the C-R-Y-P-T-O word very soon as well if you want to contribute that way. Um, I need someone to enlighten me on that before I go that route, but any way that you can contribute will be awesome. I'm really thankful and grateful for your love and support. Uh, the 2,800-plus amazing followers at Bank Better Guide, the dozens more at patreon.com. And the people who are looking at my videos and understanding that big banks are a scourge. And yes, we're going to have to live with them for the rest of our lives, probably like this virus, unfortunately. But we can find a way to curtail their bullshit if we work together and fight back against them and say, you know what, big banks, we've had it up to here with your shit and we're not going to take it anymore. So until we meet again, my friends, my name is James, the Notorious Banker, signing off. I'll be back with another podcast at some point in time next week or unless breaking news warrants. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and you'll see some videos on there. And follow me at Bank Better Guy for up-to-date content. We'll talk to you very soon. You have a great day.